Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast, where we interview newsmakers and just have an all-around good time. And today will be no different. I am joined by Derek Hunter, radio host, columnist, and author of Outrage Incorporated, How the Liberal Mob Ruined Science, Journalism, and Hollywood. He is at Derek A. Hunter on Twitter, at Derek A. Hunter. You can find a link to buy the book at the show notes for this podcast. So excited to have you here, Derek. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Stacey. <laughs> it's, it's great to talk to you again. Um, I have to say... In all of the news media and all of the things that are going on right now, the title of your book kind of just wraps it all up, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It, it, when I wrote it two years ago, I thought, well, this be dated. But no, it's become more relevant. Not to say that I'm a soothsayer. Clearly, I can't predict the future. <laughs> I'd be a multiple lottery winner. But uh, I am not a multiple lottery winner. But you'll never go broke betting on the left to continually get crazier. You just never will. You know, I have to tell you, you, when you, so you don't have to actually be a a, um, soothsayer to see the direction that the left is going in, and then to kind of take cues from their playbook, because they haven't changed much, have they? I mean, this is pretty much the same agenda they've been running for the past 20 years unsuccessfully. It is. They they repackage it, and they claim it as the solution to whatever, you know, kind of funny the example i use stacy is when in the 70s in the 60s and 70s they were talking about the coming ice age and we're all going to have to learn to ice skate we're going to freeze to death if we don't get close enough to the equator all the solutions were the same higher taxes more regulation more government control they even had floated ideas about uh, putting ash over the polar caps to try and melt them And it was all liberalism was the solution. Now, the problem in the 80s became the exact opposite, because we didn't freeze to death in the 70s. The glaciers didn't come and take us all. And the solution, weirdly enough, when the problem went 180 degrees in the other direction, the solution stayed the same. That's how you know that they're lying, that it's just an opportunity. It is like uh, climate change and global warming, whatever you want to call it, was the popcorn for progressive politics. By what that I mean, popcorn is a, is horrible, plain. It's just awful. It's like chewing on styrofoam. But it's a socially acceptable delivery device for butter and salt. And that's why people like it. Climate change is garbage, but it's a, an acceptable thing for them to piggyback their agenda on. Scare the hell out of people. We're all going to die unless you comply with what we want. They do that with just about everything. That's why their panic level is always turned up to not even 11. It's up to 15 all the time. It is. But it's it, there's also there's a panic level. But then there's also a sense of kind of doom and gloom inevitability because they don't have anything to live for. They don't believe in anything beyond this life. And I, I'm not talking about everyone having to be a Christian or having to practice a specific faith tradition, but they don't appear to have any motivation to kind of live life to the fullest. It's always, you're about to die. COVID, you're about to die. Uh, climate change, you're about to die. Before that was global warming, you're about to die. Also, every issue, like if if um, if there's some issue going on with the environment in a local area, you're about to die. Not, this is a cleanup site, let's work on cleaning it up, or let's let's do something to help with this issue. It's, this is going to kill you. Because of this, there's racism and you're going to die. The, they, the mantra has gotten so tired that most people hear it and it just bounces right off your head like if, if you threw a piece of popcorn at me. 
No, you're you're right to a certain extent. It's the it is that we're all going to die panic, but it is not that they. That's what they live for. It's not that they have nothing to live for. It's not that they believe that, and although many of them do, that you know, you live and then you die and you're you're done forever. Um, I was lucky enough when I was younger, uh, near the end of his life, last three years of his life, to become good friends with Christopher Hitchens, who was probably mm. the most famous the famous atheist at the time, and you know, having many late night drinking sessions at his apartment with him, <laughs> I can tell you. He was incredibly fascinating. I didn't agree with him on everything, but he was one of the smartest people I ever met, and he would hear you out. He would listen to you. He never treated... I was, you know, 25, 30 years old, something like that. He didn't care. He could have looked down his nose at me and should have looked down his nose at me, but he didn't do it because he was happy. He was very happy in his life. He wasn't out to browbeat some kid he'd gotten too much scotch into in front of his friends. You know, uh, it was... He was joyful in life. So many people on the left, it, Christopher didn't substitute the missing joy in his life for polit political victories. He had joy in his life, and he enjoyed the political fight. Too many on the left now have no joy in their life. They have nobody they care about. They have nothing they care about. So they scramble around to try and find something. They don't believe in God. Their families probably disown them. They disown their families because they're not driving a Prius or whatever. And you, you, they don't have anything. So they create this life, this world. It's a miserable world. And to give it a sense of urgency, they have to say we're all going to die. It's sad. Feel bad for them, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> if you feel anything, I mean, obviously beat them beat them to a bloody pulp at the ballot box and in the battlefield of ideas. But then, as they're limping to their locker room, feel a little bad for them because that's the best they're going to be today. Well, and there is there is a sense that you're with the... Because they, they claim to be the ones who have all of the fun, but then they're also the ones who they project the most miserable aspects. So in spite of the success, I mean, I'm, I every time I, I forget or I have... I can't say I forget, but maybe... Every time I've stuffed it far enough down, Derek, that Barack Obama was the first black president and he was like a Marxist who didn't love this country. And I stuff that down and I get on with my life. And then he pops back up and he's talking about climate change or or something that doesn't make sense in light of he and his wife's real estate portfolio. And it's those things that I always think to myself, they're going to see this like Americans are going to see this and say, well, you just had a party at your house, your multimillion dollar oceanfront estate, but you believe in climate change, that the oceans are going to rise up and swallow up all of our coasts. So why did you spend all of those millions of dollars on that home, you know, right there on the coast, if you believe that? Well, that oh, question no. never they, gets they, asked. They're a hero. They're a hero. They threw themselves on the grenade of that property, that mansion, that giant estate on Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Some other unsuspecting person who might not have a $100 million book deal or a $100 million deal with Netflix, may have spent the only $12 million they have on that home and then have been ruined through climate change. So they are the heroes here. Don't underestimate the power of martyrdom on the left. Yeah, the heroism is so epic, I, I miss it. I, and even after your explanation, I'm still struggling to grasp the, her the, the heroic aspect of what they've done. But there's, there's also, there's, a, there's an insidious 
kind of force to the group think. And you call it that, too. You, you call what the Democrats do cult-like groupthink consensus. And then they use that groupthink as proof to whatever it is that they're, they're, they're working on. And right now, they have a, a grip on America with COVID-19. And whenever the grip starts to slip, then we have a new variant. And I just heard on the news yesterday, Derek, that the Omicron variant is a concern, but not as big of a concern as the resurgence of Delta. And so really, even though Omicron is there as a boogeyman just waiting in the wings, the real boogeyman is Delta again. So go back to being afraid because Delta. No, you're right. They always have another, you know, you never let a good crisis go to waste, but you always have a good crisis chambered. And they do. And when you get even, I call him affectionately President Fauci, when even President Fauci has to admit that the uh, the Omicron variant, at least as of yet, and let's hope it stays that way, but at least as of yet is not proving to be nearly as uh, serious. All, I don't think any, I haven't heard of a case yet. Certainly I haven't heard of a case where anybody died. I haven't heard of a case of anybody being hospitalized if the symptoms are mild. That uh, that ain't going to cut it because, you know, the Democrats love to use emotion because emotion overrides logic every every time. But you and your listeners, if you think about the times you've apologized for something, it's probably not for anything you did or mostly not for anything you did calmly, coolly, upon reflection. You sat there and thought about it a long time, then you insulted somebody. You probably did it in the heat of emotion, uh, worked up anger, afraid, whatever it is. You don't, those emotions, anger or fear, especially a combination of both, override logic every single time. Logic is kryptonite to the left. So they need to keep people in a constant state of one or both of those emotions so they don't think, hey, what these people are advocating has pretty much failed everywhere. It's been tried every single time. And with the pandemic, it has given them perfect cover. They have a golden opportunity to get through a lot of their spending, as we've seen. And now, if Omicron is the next big thing, and it's milder, less fatal or not fatal at all, hopefully, uh, they still have trillions of dollars in spending they want to push through. They can't have that. That doesn't do them any good. So they have to bring back, you know, if you can't come up with a new song, you repackage it, and you can't write a new album, you put out a greatest hit. And that seems to be what we're dealing with here. They, they can't put this behind them while they have so much need for it. Yeah, the need is great, but the tolerance of the American people, can it, can it match the need? Because I feel like I'm, I'm tired, but I'm on the right. I'm constantly tired of the left. But, but people who live in the middle, people who live on nightly news and maybe not so much cable news, who aren't as sick of leftists, are they going to reach their boiling point too, or will we just continue to you know, simmer on our own? I just spent Thanksgiving in northern Michigan, the northern lower peninsula of Michigan, visiting my dad, the kids, and the family. And we live in Maryland in the Washington, D.C. area. And you can't go out, you take the garbage out. You've got to, your neighbors will mummify their heads and put a Ziploc bag over there. It, it's, it's amazing how paranoid people are. And you drive to Michigan and through Pennsylvania and Ohio, you see fewer, the further away you get from this area, the East Coast the fewer masks you see. You still see some, and I don't, if, I, if I'm in my 70s and I have a pre-existing condition, I'm masking up. And 
you know, it's certainly not a cure-all. It certainly doesn't work the way that it was described. But if it gives me five more percentage points of protection, I'll take it. So you go from 100% mask requirement in, say, Montgomery County, Maryland, just outside of D.C., to maybe 5% masking voluntarily in Traverse City, Michigan. You, uh, you see that we live in different worlds. The people, there's not going to be a moment when they get sick of it and say, to hell with this, we're going to have a mask, mask burning. Although there will be some people who will do that. They are as a minority as the number of people who walk around with a snorkel through a, a filter. Um, the vast majority of people will just eventually return to normal, whether like it or not. You learn to live. You're going to have to learn to live with this thing. Don't go around making out with strangers. Uh, don't lick doorknobs. Wash your hands. And uh, you'll probably be fine. What's disturbing to me is how few people apparently before this washed their hands with any regularity or had any understanding that soap is required and scrubbing is required. That's a little Um, horrifying. But I I think that there won't be one moment where everybody just goes, all right, we all agree it's over. It will be, uh, they're not doing it. I forgot my mask. I'm not going to run home because I got to run into Home Depot. I'm not going to run home to get a mask. I'll just go in because it's not required. And once you start doing it, it starts to feel normal again. Because I get it. The first time I did it, it was like, this is a bit odd. But you get used to it really quickly. You go, wait a second. This is a comfortable old pair of shoes. And people will go back to normal on their own time. But there will be no all clear bell sounding. And more and more people are doing it outside of Washington, D.C. That's why I think so many media types and, and politicians think that this stuff is popular. It might not be driving people away from them, but it's certainly not popular. And you get outside the coast and you don't see it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's what I noticed. We, um, and so Missouri is a red state, but if you live in St. Louis, you know, you might as well be, uh, you know, not no longer, you're no longer in the Midwest in some <laughs> ways. And so th- th- it's one of the things that you begin to realize because living in St. Louis County, I always think we're in a red state. We, we have, you know, we have protections, but our governor doesn't actually protect uh, St. Louis County. He protects the rural areas because the rural areas don't have this, you know, hardcore leftist governance. But when it comes to us, like we, he, it's almost as if we're not in the state of Missouri and emailing him, calling him, these things don't move the needle for him because he's just not going to go up against the hardcore entrenched leftists who run this county. This county is also the economic driver of the entire state, highest tax base and largest population. So Kansas City and Cape Girardeau exist. But when it comes to where the revenue is emanating from, it's here. And he does not seem to – he doesn't grasp that because he gets all of his votes from the outstate. And he's not running again. So, you know, it's it, it's a real eye-opener during COVID to see how a supposedly bastion of, uh, you know, republicanism and, and conservatism – it just it didn't matter to us because we were in St. Louis County and we were literally strapped down and the masks were taped to our face like the poor children in those stories that we were so horrified by. So, you know, well, Derek, I, Maryland, we allegedly have a Republican governor and Larry Hogan. But Larry, right. Larry Hogan will leave office a two term, wildly popular governor in a blue state with every dollar of political capital he ever accrued because he never spent it. He never used <laughs> it on anything. He is the safest governor he he did nothing to to take a risk he did nothing to get other republicans elected that's why his term will end up being largely irrelevant he's personally popular but everything he vetoes there's enough democratic votes in the legislature to override 
So it's like once he's out of office for 20 minutes, it will be as though the last eight years never existed. It didn't happen. It sounds a lot like your governor, where they're just like on the way out the door and whatever comes next isn't their problem. They don't care. Yeah. And there's also this sense that, you know, just just the the sense of invisibility, because we did travel from here to Florida twice during this past, I'd say maybe 13 month period. We've been to Florida twice and both times. What One was Thanksgiving of 2020 in the height of the pandemic. And I walked into the gas station with a mask on and everyone else in the gas station didn't have a mask on. And the lady at the counter, I walked up because I was buying some sugar because obviously you have to buy your sugar at the gas station when you're on vacation with your husband and the kids because there is no sugar in the condo that you're renting. So I'm just there to buy this little tiny thing of sugar. And I walk up to the counter and I look at the lady and I reached up to my mask and she said, it's okay, honey, you can take it off in here. And I said, oh, I ripped the mask (laughs) off my face. And she said, you're really only going to need it. Like if you go in the grocery store, I think they have a mask sign on the door, but they're not enforcing it. But you might get mean looks from some of the other people inside. I said, so <laughs> is it is it mask free pretty much everywhere? She said, pretty much, except like, you know, big chain stores are still doing it. But she said, just just pay attention to the sign on the door. She said, nobody's going to bother you, though. And I, I tucked the mask into my pocket and she just looked at me and kind of smiled like, oh, you poor thing. And I, I bought my sugar and I walked out. My husband was like, where's your mask? I said, we don't need them. We're in Florida now. And everybody in the car just broke out in a cheer. And I'm like, yes, we're, we're, we're free for a whole week. So that was going on then. Now, it's we have a lot less masking here, even though there is a fake mask mandate that goes against the legislative, you know, laws that have been passed during COVID. But the point is, if you if you don't, if you have a little bit of courage and you're and you're not a, you're you're not afraid of people kind of staring you down, if you stare back, it, it usually withers away. Then you can run around mask free and you can be pretty free. I, I think Derek, you kind of hit on something there that I'm going to hold on to for the rest of this week and kind of noodle over and share with other people. I'll give you credit, and that is that it doesn't come down. The way we all want it is a huge announcement, a huge cheer, like in the, you know, in the, in the rental car we had, and then we were free. It's going to be incremental. And, but I think, Derek, maybe if it's incremental, it, it's, it's more, it's stronger. It, it, it comes from a place of resolve with people where they just make the decision on their own. It is. It's a conclusion they've come to rather than a conclusion that they've been told. Look, there are some people who are still terrified, paranoid, and don't leave their houses. It'll be longer for them. But being told for two years, you're going to die if you leave your house, and then suddenly those people say, yeah, okay, you can leave your house, it's not going to work right away. They're going to have to come to their own conclusions in their own timeline. There will be 330 million uh, liberation days in, in this country. Probably 150 million of them already had them. But uh, it's just going to have to take time. And you're going to see people. There are some people, I don't understand. There are some people who will freak out if they see a, a naked face. Going, oh, my God. And it'll be like <laughs> Donald Sutherland at the end of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake, where he's just pointing and screaming because he's been taken over by the pod people. And then there are some people who will, who are the same way when they see somebody with a mask on. If you don't, if you want people to leave you alone because you don't want to wear a mask, then leave people alone because they want to wear a mask. Right? And if we just get to that point, and it'll probably be like Northern Michigan, where people who are it's a retirement haven up there in the middle of, of the Lower Peninsula, they're older, they've probably been smokers most of their lives, 
they don't want to risk it. If it makes them feel better, even if it's statistically the rounding error of the good that it does, who cares? They're not forcing you to do it. You live your life and leave people alone. Get back to the concept of conservatism, of you do you, let me do me. You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, yes, tolerance. Remember what the <laughs> left was all about, tolerance? Tolerate other people, but it's not tolerance anymore from the left. They'll browbeat you until you comply. If we could just get back to some tolerance, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. If just on masks, the world will be a much better place. I agree 100%. And that's a perfect ending. I can tell you do radio and podcasts and everything else. I wanted to say before I let you go, please pass on my best wishes and Merry Christmas to your lovely wife, Heather. I love her so much. And I I don't get to talk to her as much anymore since I don't fill in uh, over at WMAL. Um, But I, I, it's, it's just wonderful to see your family growing and, and all of the success both of you are having. It's fantastic. And it's great to have you here on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me anytime. All right. And that's another episode of our Newsmakers Newsmakers podcast here on Stacey on the Right at FamilyVisionMedia.org. Thank you for being with us today. And find out more about Derek in the show notes for today's podcast. And find out more about me at StaceyOnTheRight.com. God bless. <laughs>